But hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't grabbed the greenhouse mug yet, be sure and grab one and all the information that comes from that. And uh, yeah, we just, we love being a family together that's growing disciples, that's lo loving God, loving people and serving the world. That is our, that is our heartbeat. And so it's what we want to be all about. So um, 23 years ago, now I'm going to tell you a story and Nicole always on the way to lunch afterwards, she always edits it and corrects it. She, I need my own personal fact checker, you know, but this is in the words of Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, his podcast, the way I heard it, right? So, so there you go. The way I remember it is that Nicole and I were newlyweds, right? We did not have two cents to rub together. I was working a construction job making less than $900 a month. She was a full-time student finishing up her senior year in college. We didn't have any money. <laughs> and so I was like, we got to find some other source of income. And, uh, my, my, uh, I had a buddy that was kind of like, dude, you need to take on this new business. It is awesome. You'll make so much money doing this. And, and he had the bright idea of going around our community and painting house numbers on curbs. Simple, easy, barely any investment in it. And you can, you know, charge whatever you want for it, right? And, and so we, we were like, hey, this is a great idea. This is gonna be easy money, barely any work. We can probably crank out like 50 a day, you know, no big deal. We'll be rolling in the cash. I can quit my construction job and uh, we'll become the, the, uh, the czars of the curb, curb numbering uh, deal. We'll have campuses opening up everywhere. So we came up with this plan and we called it curb check, right? Like snappy, snazzy, right? Like who wouldn't want to, you know, curb check, there you go. And, and so we thought, okay, but here's, here's, here's the thing. We got to develop a sales pitch. Like who's going to let us one tag their curb and then to pay for it. Right. And so we came up with this really great, like, like heartfelt, like, Hey, this is for you. We're doing you a favor, right? Like, like if you ever have an emergency, you need to have your address clearly painted on your curb so that the ambulance is going to be able to make it to you when you fall and can't get up. Right. And, and so somehow in, in our, our line of thinking, we didn't realize we live in a tiny little village and like, like literally if, if, yep, yeah, this is the way the dispatch probably goes, Hey, Melvin Knelson fell again, head on his on a way out. Hey, on the way back, why don't you get Irma Suderman's uh, cat, let her out. Cause she's been out of town for a while. Okay. Yep. We'll see you later. Catch you for coffee this afternoon. You know, like it was a small town. And so like, the idea of like these EMTs like driving around like, we don't know, what street are we on? Where's this, like, you know, like it didn't even compute for us, right? And so our, there wasn't really a need for it. And then here's the other part is how are we gonna get word out? You know, this is the days before the Facebook and the interwebs, and so you can't just get out on there. And so guess what we did? We got out this thing called a phone book. And it has people's names and numbers in it. And so we just started calling down. And they're like, hey, we're, we're Jason Query with Curb Check. You, what, you, this is what we're doing. You, you know, are, you, are you afraid of falling? And are you afraid of ambulances not being able to find your house? No. <laughs> and, and so we're like, finally, we roped in this older couple. Um, and, and I think they just felt really, really sorry for us. And it's sort of like, dude, this is, they have hit rock bottom. There you go. So they agreed to let us come and, and paint their number on their curb. And so Nicole and I are like, yes, 
We went to the local Alco because the Walmart was like 30 minutes away. Alco, everybody heard of Alco? <laughs> this is why I should fact check before because your story is probably better. Babe, come up and finish the story. <laughs> Matching shirts. And so we go to Alco and we get one can of white spray paint to spray the background. And then, and then one can of black spray paint to, to spray the number. And then we need stencils. Remember, we didn't have two cents. We just blew our like half our monthly income on these two cans of spray paint. And so we went and we got this, this computer, you know, like, like printer paper. And then we like, you know, Nicole's a teacher. And so she draws the numbers on there. And, and then uh, that was our stencil, our homemade stencil. Somewhere in our thinking, we forgot we're in Kansas. It's windy. And so we get out to the curb, we get out to the curb and they're like, well, what do we do? I'm going to have to hold it. So I'm holding it like, you hold it. I spray it. No, you spray it. I'll hold it. What are we doing here? And so we get like this, this, this white background. We're like, like that wind is blowing it everywhere. And, and then we're trying to do the black numbers on top of it. It hadn't dried yet. And, and the wind is not only blowing the paint everywhere, it's blowing the, the, the stencils everywhere. And, and what happens to printer paper when you, when you get it wet? like that, right? Like our stencils are falling apart in mid job. And so we kind of step back and it's kind of like, is it, we can't even tell that number, right? Like it's this kind of white blob with these black kind of streaks and we're trying to like touch it up. And it looks like the children went out and it's, it's like, it was mortifying to this day, Nicole, I, I don't even know to this day. I don't even remember if we went up to the house and said, we're done, pay us. I, the way I remember it, we hopped in your Mazda 626 through the paint in the back in the box and like, boom, we're out. Like, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> it's like, like, we should have Ian go see if that house still has it. So like, like everything went wrong with that. There was nothing right except for our pure, innocent desire for money, right? <laughs> There was no need. The product wasn't good. We didn't know how to get it out there. It didn't work. The problem is, is that so often we're like that. We have these great ideas and we like the idea of something, but when it actually comes to implementing it, it all falls apart. Now, here's the thing. Our friend must have been way better than us because they made a ton of money on it. And they must have had the right stencils. They had the right situation. They had the right process. I, mean, I think I got more paint on my hands than on that curb, right? And we, we like the idea of something, but then when it doesn't work, boom, we're out. This morning, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at how Jesus actually was on the opposite side of this. He looked around him, and he saw a world that was broken and drowning in need. What he was going to do was completely legit. He was perfect, and what he would do would work. Now, here's the interesting thing is we're going to see this morning that some people really respond to that. But miraculously, a lot of people didn't. In fact, most people didn't. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 8, um, and Jesus is going to describe the nature of his product, God's word, and how people respond to it. As we dig in, I want to ask you, so, I want to, ask you to put yourselves into the story. 
One, look at what areas of need. As we look through these stories, we're going to see some pretty intense stuff, some pretty far out there stuff. Maybe some of us identify with that, but then maybe some of us others, like maybe it might not be that crazy, but we still have our own craziness, right? We still have our own brokenness and need in our lives. So, so think about how God's word applies to our life, but then also think about how God calls us to receive it and to spread it. All right, let's dig in here. We're going to start in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. You can read along if you can read it up there on your phone or in your Bible or wherever. So here we go. Four, uh, 8, 4 through 18 it says, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer, I like the story already, a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across this field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seeds, uh, other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died from lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as he had, as he had planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from, uh, from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they, uh, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who, got, who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Then he continues, no lamp, no one lights a lamp, then covers it with a bowl and hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where it lights, where, where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. For all, uh, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Now, there's a lot going on there, but I'm going to quickly just unpack it pretty simply. One, God's word. God's word is a seed. Now, we think God's word immediately. This is God's word, right? Yes, it is. But God's word, that word, the, the, the Greek word for word means what God 
has said, what he does say, what he is saying. It's his will. It's his heart. It's his rationale. It's the way that God works. The Bible is probably the the most clear and concise and comprehensive. It's not concise, but it's comprehensive of understanding the heart of God. So that's why we say the Bible is God's word, because he wrote this for us. He inspired people to write his words into our hearts. And that's why we put so much value on every Sunday. You know, we're going to be digging into the Bible because this is how we know God's word. But we also can hear God's word as we pray, as we sing, as we're out in nature, as we experience community, like God's word, his will, his rationale is revealed in a lot of different ways. Now, here's the thing. It's consistent. If all of a sudden you hear something, like we were just laughing this morning, you know, if all of a sudden you start hearing me say some crazy stuff, we'd better check it with the rest of God's word, right? Just because I say, well, God revealed to me, you know, you better be listening and and paying attention to make sure it lines up with that. And if it doesn't, you better come punch me in the face and say, you're wrong, right? Okay, so God's word is a seed, now, there's this interesting part in there where it talks about how the it talks about secrets, right? And our, we're kind of infatuated with secrets. What's the secret to this? What's the secret to that? The secret. Really, that's a bad translation. The word that is translated as secret literally means mystery. The mysteries of God will be revealed through his word. And, and it's the, the mystery. Here's the thing. God is God and we are not. He is a spiritual being. We are a fleshly being that has a spirit, right? We are created by him. Just like, just like your, your, your Lego uh, uh, project doesn't understand your heart. Like it's the created. We are the creator. It's the same thing with us and God. Like he reveals himself to us, but we have to kind of learn. And, and so there's this mysterious aspect. If God is no longer a mystery to you, you need to get to know him better. I've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years. I've, I have a master's degree. I, I, I've been doing this for a long time. And guess what? The more I get to know God, the more mysterious he becomes to me. And I love it because I don't want to serve a small God that, oh, this is exactly this. This is exactly that. This is exactly that. It's not much of a God right? And so he's saying this mystery of God is going to be revealed to us through his word, through this seed. Now, here's the thing. Seeds are meant to be scattered. It's not to be ignored or hoarded. Now, I I come from a farm in Nebraska, right? My brothers farm a lot of corn and a lot of soybeans. And and imagine if all of a sudden, uh, Matt Sievert, he's the pioneer seed dealer in Henderson, Nebraska. Great guy. Love him. Went to high school with him. He's a little bit, a lot older than me, but he's their seed dealer. If all of a sudden Matt would bring like a trailer load of seed out to the farm, I remember my brothers would be like, nah, I don't need that seed. What? They need seed. They have to have seed. If they don't have seed, they don't have anything to plant. If they don't have anything to plant, they're not farmers, right? Or let's say all of a sudden, hey, hey, Matt, bring out some more. Give me another hit of seed. Bring that seed over. And they just, they're just stacking up all of their sheds with the seed. But guess what? Come springtime, they never plant it. And they never plant it. And they never plant it. If they're not planting seed, they're just hoarding it. They're not farmers, right? Seeds are not meant to be ignored 
And they're not meant to be hoarded. They're meant to be scattered. They're meant to be received, right? We need to receive that seed in our heart, in our life. Three out of the four examples that Jesus says didn't really receive it. They might have kind of sort of received it, but either one, the seed is just taken away, or two, it's it's like, oh, this is great. And then as soon as like as there's no root system, then as soon as life happens, well, maybe that's too hard. I'm just out, right? And we wilt and we die. Or we're like, hey, we're doing good, we're doing good, we're doing good. And all of a sudden we realize that all these weeds are growing up in our lives too. And 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 all these different temptations, all of a sudden, man, I'm really growing. And then all of a sudden, These things lock us out from the light that we need for Jesus, right? Seeds are pregnant. You don't just, just, hey, here's a seed, right? And and let's grow. No, you have to bury it. A seed has to die to produce life. And so we, we bury God's word in our hearts. And we see that begin to sprout and grow and reveals itself. And the cool thing is, as he says, that huge harvest will come from that. So God's word, the nature of God's word is a seed. And, the, and then the second one really quickly is that God's word is like light. Now, light is meant to be seen. Light is not meant to be hidden. It pushes out the darkness. Now, we always, it's always kind of funny. Light can be very... Um, comforting and welcoming. Um, if you've ever been camping before by yourself out in the, in the mountains, it's sort of like until you get your fire going at night, you're kind of like a little scared, right? But there's something de- deep about light and, and it's just comforting and reassuring and things like that. But if you've ever woken up your, your, your kids in the morning and it's, it's dark and it's sort of like you flip on the light, <laughs> you know, it can be jarring. It can be really, really jarring. We don't like to have that light shining in on us. Or if you're trying to hide stuff, you want dark. You don't want light, right? We don't want God shining his light around into our lives to reveal all the things that we've been trying to hide. And so I love how Jesus kind of starts off this section where where he says it's like a seed and it's like light. My heart, my will, my intent is meant to be received. It's, it's meant to be lived out. It's not just supposed to be hidden or left dormant. Now, verse 18 is kind of odd. Because it talks about how if you don't listen to it, if you don't put it into practice, you lose it. We don't like verses like that. That's not fun. I wanted to skip over that part, but it's there. So we look at it. It's, it's like this. Um, I haven't really worked out consistently in the last two years, ever since I had uh, my, my shoulder surgery and that's been my excuse. And then I had COVID and then I had to travel and then I just back pain and I had excuse, 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 excuse. But guess what? This last week, it was finally go time. My kids are starting to make fun of me. And, and I was like, Hey, listen here, punk, I'm going to take you out. And so this week I went six days, right? I went from like barely anything to six days in one week. I am so sore. <laughs> I hurt so bad. Over the last two years, I would maybe go a couple times every like two or three months. If you want to get sore, the key to working out is just to only work out like once a month. That way, every time you get that first burn soreness, it's like the first time all over again, right? Don't suggest that. Because I've been realizing like, like as I've been trying to get back into it, just how much I've lost. 
Same thing with God's word. It's not just, oh, I'm saved. I'm good. Now I'm going to die and go to heaven. I don't have to do anything in between, right? No, God gives us his word to, to, to work us out, to, to grow us, to challenge us, to push us. If we continually reject that, we lose out on it. And then when we engage, when it engage, when God comes to us and, and says, hey, I want to do this, you know, I don't, want, I don't want your light. I don't want your seed to mess up what I got going on here, right? So that's kind of the nature of God's word. The rest of chapter eight are examples kind of fleshing out a little bit more of the nature of God's word, but it's also really interesting because we're going to see how people respond to it. Uh, in Luke chapter eight, verses 19 through 21. Then Jesus's mother and brothers come to see him, but he, they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone, <laughs> I would just love to see somebody try to keep Nicole away from her kids. Like, like, at a, at, like, like Ian, our, our oldest son played his last game of the season. If we were there and, and he had all this crowd around him and stuff like that, Nicole would be like, no, that's my boy. You're going to let me go see my boy. Right. But somehow the crowd was so fierce around Jesus that, that his own mother and brothers couldn't get to him. And, and so, so uh, someone told Jesus, Hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. And Jesus replies, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and obey it. Ouch. That kind of hurts. If you're his earthly mother and brothers, that kind of hurts. But here we see that God's word radically redefines our relationships and our loyalties. God's word redefines our relationships and our loyalties. We have a greater father and we have a higher loyalty. Now, Jesus says that his real family is those, are those who receive and respond to his eternal word. This is not meant to cheapen the earthly family unit. It's not just saying, eh, whatever. It's not destroying the family. Instead, it's calling us to a higher understanding of our family. Our earthly family is where we get to live out. We get to learn. We get to be tested and tried. And, and we get opportunities to live out our relationship with our um, eternal father, right? And so it's actually saying, hey, if you can live out your relationship with your, with your eternal father, as, as a good relationship, your relationship with your earthly family is just going to be better, right? We have a book downstairs. I think we still have copies of it. I'd highly recommend it. It's called Families Where Grace is in Place. And it basically talks about how, how we want to always look outside of ourselves to, uh, to find fulfillment. Um, and so a lot of times our families are built on insecurity. I need my husband. I need this guy or I need this girl to make me feel complete, well, guess what? We weren't created to complete each other. No matter what Hollywood says, trying to find completion in a partner or spouse or anything will not work. So what happens in a marriage when the husband and wife can't find fulfillment in each other? We start to look outside, work, play, affairs, emotional things, hobbies, whatever, right? Uh, uh, substances, things like that. We start to look outward to other things to try to fulfill us. That's the negative side. But the really good, acceptable version, let's have a kid. Oh, you're having a kid. Maybe the kid will make us happy, right? So now guess what? The kid is learning to perform to make us feel better. That's not healthy for our poor kids. 
Families where grace is in place, the biblical God's word is saying, no, we find fulfillment from God. And once we are full, now we can relate together out of the fullness that God gives us. Instead of using the people around us, our husband, our wife, our children, our friends, our job, our, our, our whatever it is, instead of using those things to find fulfillment, we are full because of God. And that spills out because of that. That's what he's talking about. My highest loyalty is not to my earthly family, to my nation, to my community, to a club, to an association, to anything. My highest loyalty is to God and my eternal family. Now, here's what's cool. And, and, and please don't hear this the wrong way, right? We talk a lot about being a family. That's not to diminish or to replace but it's just saying, we want to understand who we are as a family of believers. We are one family of a much larger global family of believers in Jesus. And so when all of a sudden we, like, I've, I've, I've found this sometimes is kind of like, I just want to get so mad at this person, blah, blah, blah. But guess what? He's a brother in Christ. She's a sister in Christ. If we're family together, it means we're saving, serving the same God. I need to get over it. We need to deal with this, Right. And so within the church, so often we're told, I want to get what I want. I want to get fed. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. And if you can't, I'm on to the next one. Well, guess what? Imagine if your kid would say, you know what? Sally's house does this and Billy's family does that. And I'm going to, I'm going to pick and choose. And I'm going to go to this one. And I'm going to go to that one. As a parent, you're saying, you're saying, no, that's not how it works. That's how we handle our family of faith. A lot of times God calls us to live in family, because guess what? That's where the, 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 the edges get knocked off a little bit, right? That's where we live out the hard stuff in the truth of God's word. And so that's why we really, you know, we try to focus on not just being a church or having a service or, or the institutional organizational. No, it's a family and family can be really, really fun, but it can also get a little bit messy at times. And that's why we talk a lot about connection and, and doing life together and where the reality of the gospel collides with the reality of our life. And that's risky. It's really, really risky, but it's where God is calling us. I like the commentary uh, that I've been using primarily for this study. Um, had, had the quote in there, the word creates family. The word creates family. Are we allowing God's word to be a seed that is sown in our lives to where we are growing more and more and more together with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Luke 8, 22 through 25, I'm just going to summarize it. It's where Jesus gets in a boat, crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. All of a sudden, um, what's interesting as I was researching is that the Sea of Galilee is actually about half the size of Utah Lake. It's a lot smaller than what I realized, but because of the way it's like way lower than sea level, the winds actually come in super strong because they're, 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 you know, how heavy pressure, light pressure, all that kind of stuff like that. These winds get really monstrous going down into the Valley of the Sea of Galilee. And you guys know how many people have been killed on the Utah Lake? Like a lot because it, it just, the winds come in. And even though it's just a lake, uh, it's, it can be deadly. And so I think the disciples were, were very uh, justified in their fear, but they're kind of like, Jesus, you're asleep. And it's going to, you know, they were going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And he wakes up and he goes, 
where's your faith? And he goes over to the edge of the boat. He just says, wind, waves, stop. And they stop. What's cool in this section is that we see that God's word, he didn't just think it. He didn't, he didn't you know, he spoke it. God's word calms our fears and takes authority over our circumstances. And our job is to let him. In uh, verses 26 through 33, um, there's this crazy story. Again, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize it, but I really encourage you to go back and read it because there's some rich stuff in there. Long story short, um, Jesus comes to this, this town, um, in, in the region of Galilee, and there is this homeless, naked, demon-possessed man running around in the hills. <laughs> it's like, can you imagine going down on the coast here of, of, of Utah Lake, and it's like, oh yeah, there's Bobby, right? Like, like you know, or, or Demon Dan, right? Like, like he's just out there, he's just rah! is crazy. And, and the people uh, came out and they tried to chain him. And it's sort of like, ah, that's funny. And you just rip the chains off. And, and people have gotten so used to just having Demon Dan out on the, on the, on the shore. It's kind of like, ah, just, just stay out of that area. You know, I think it was like a cemetery or something like that. And he's going around and, and, and so like, he's been out there for years People try to confine him, but he just keeps on breaking loose and, and just keeps on coming back. And, and so what's crazy is that Jesus comes up, and, and as soon as Jesus comes up to this guy, he starts pleading for his life. And Jesus says, what's your name? Jesus sees into the spiritual realm. We don't talk a lot about that. We need to be talking more because flesh and blood is just temporary. What's, what's seen is we need to focus on what's seen and what not seen. We need to focus on what is unseen and not what's seen because what's unseen is eternal and what's seen is temporary. I butchered that, but it's somewhere in the Bible, right? But the thing is, is, is guys, the reality is, is there's a spiritual realm. It's, 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 it's there. And so Jesus, he sees into that spiritual realm and he says, what's your name? And I think he knew exactly what was going on. It says, Legion. For we are many. And so this demon says, you know, you know how many soldiers are in a Roman legion? A thousand. Demon Dan was not doing so good. He had symbolically or literally a thousand demons that had been tormenting him for years. Jesus knows he's outnumbered, right? Can you imagine going into a situation where you knew you were outnumbered a thousand to one. But guess what? The demons knew they were whooped. They start pleading, please don't kill us. Please don't kill us. Please don't kill us. And he says, okay, see that herd of pigs? Go out of here. And they're so dumb. They literally don't want to be killed. And so what do they do? They go into this herd of pigs and then they rush over the cliff and then die anyhow, right? <laughs> like, like they're just that dumb. But they were so scared of Jesus that they didn't even really think it through. Here's the thing is that the word of God sets us free. And if the same Jesus that can walk into a room of a thousand enemies and have them shaking in their boots and doing irrational things 
That's the same Jesus that sets you free. Too often we fight a fight. We, we, we go into a fight thinking that we're beat or that it might be a close call or that it might not work. Guess what? It works. Jesus will set us free if we allow him to. Then if we go into uh, verses 34 through 37, um, the people all put Jesus up on their shoulders. They're like, yay, Jesus for saving demon Dan. You know, now he's, you know, Dan Dandy or whatever, right? Like he's just really cool. And, and wait, no, they're mad. They want to chase Jesus out of the region because he just destroyed their pig, their pig herd. They're so mad at him for disrupting their lifestyle, their economy, their comfort, their safety, their security, that they don't, that their economy is more important than people. And so here we see that the word of God offends us. Not very popular. None of you are probably going to go home and, and Instagram, you know, the word of God offends us. Jason Query in Greenhouse Community Church. Send. Oh, I like that. I'm going to share that. The word of God offends us, right? But guess what? The word of God offends us. Not in a shameful, mean, cruel, unloving way, but in a life-giving and shame-free kind of way. Sometimes we have to be offended. There's been times where I have been hurtful. I've been just really stupid or mean or selfish. And guess what? I have to be offended with the truth of what I've just done. Because if I don't, I'm just going to perpetuate my stupidity. Until someone has the, the, the love to confront me and hurt me, I have to be able to receive that. Because God's word will offend us. But do we trust him? Do we know that he loves us? Are we going to receive that because of that love? And then we also see here in verse uh, 38 and 39, um, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You, you've been demon possessed and naked and homeless and living in the hills and doing crazy things. And all of a sudden now you're, you're, you're sitting there in your right mind and everybody's kind of looking at you kind of like, Jesus, we want you out of here. I'd want to go with Jesus too. But Jesus said, sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. The word of God sends us. Sometimes he says, follow, and sometimes he says, stay. But God always is going to send us in one way or another. If God has healed and delivered you, people need to hear about it. People need to be encouraged and challenged in their own lives to run to Jesus. Now, here's the thing. That'd be kind of embarrassing, right? Having to go back in and say, hey, let me tell you about what happened to me, right? Like nobody wants to do that. But yet, what a powerful witness of what Jesus has done and who he is. And then, and then the last part, verses 40 through 56 uh, there's this, um, Jesus is going through and all of a sudden this religious leader, J uh, Jairus, he, he sends word and um, actually Jairus comes to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter is sick. She's dying. Can you please come and heal her? And he goes, yeah, let's go. And as they're going, all of a sudden there's this big crowd and all of a sudden pff, Jesus goes, who touched me? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> like, like who touched me? And everybody's like, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And 
there's this one lady who had had a continual menstrual cycle for 12 years. She had never stopped bleeding for 12 years. Now, I am a dude. I have never been a non-dude. I don't pretend to understand the fullness of what I'm about to say, but from what I've gathered, it's not fun. Amen, right? <laughs> Delicate issue, right? <laughs> 12 years. And in this culture, it's even worse. It's not just the physical pain, it's the emotional pain because when you're menstruating, you are unclean. And so can you imagine all of a sudden she's kind of like, like that, all of a sudden, you know, kind of shocks. And then, and then she goes out, I'm okay. And, and then Jesus says, who, who touched me? I felt healing power, leave my body. And then, and then she's kind of like, uh, me? <laughs> Two scandalous things. One, a woman should never touch a man in that culture. That was a part of the culture is a woman should never touch a man. And two, especially a woman in that condition, right? She doesn't care. She's desperate. 12 years is enough. She wants to be healed. And so she just says, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. And, and everybody's kind of like getting mad at her and, and like, how dare you? And he goes, no, your faith has healed you. Go. You're good. And then as he's dealing with all that, all of a sudden one of Jairus's people from his house comes and says, Jairus, she died. Leave Jesus alone now. Don't bother him anymore. I mean, what a loving family member. Your daughter died. Just leave Jesus alone now. There's nothing that can be done. What does Jesus say? He says, <laughs> why are you upset? She's just asleep. And then he goes to her home and he raises her back to life. The word of God restores. The word of God restores. Now it's so interesting because Jesus comes to that house and it says the entire village laughed at him. What are you doing here? She's dead, stupid. But Jesus still restores life. He restores the lady from 12 years of horrible suffering and he restores life to this, this person who had died and now is back to life. I love, I always credit Drew, even though I know it didn't originate from him, but God did not come to make bad people good or even good people better. He came to make dead people alive. He restores life. So let's wrap up by stepping back a little bit. Jesus knows that his mission, God's word, is to redefine our relationships and our loyalties in a healthier and more eternal way. It's to, call, it's to calm our fears and to take authority over our circumstances. It's to set us free from whatever is, is making us think that it controls us. Yes, it offends us, but in a life-giving and non-shameful way. And then it turns us loose into, into our life with a new sense of identity and purpose and urgency and mission. And this message is like a sea. And, and, he, and he says, hey, this has been taking you from you, but I am going to restore it. This message is a seed that's going to grow and blossom and produce a, a, an unimaginable harvest, right? And it's a light that guides us in the path of truth. So we're going to close out this way. And, and, and we don't typically do this, but if, if the worship team wants to come up and 
I'm just going to ask you a few questions. And then as they sing this last song, I want you to sit. If you guys can maybe just play instrumentally for a little bit. And then, and then Lita says, I was looking at the words of the song that they're going to close out. I was kind of like, dang, Ali slash the Holy Spirit did it again, right? Perfect fit. But I want to leave us in this, in this space to where we can say, God, where am I at in this story? How do you want to set me free? How am, how am I, how am I uh, needing restoration? How am I needing to redefine my, my, my relationships and my loyalties? How, how do I need to be offended in a life-giving way? How are you giving us purpose and mission and identity? How are you wanting to work in and through me? So I want to leave you with these questions and just talk with God. How do you see these principles at work in your life? How are you responding or how have you not responded to the seed, to the light of God's word so far? What loyalties have you sold out to that are pulling you away from Jesus? What is dominating you with fear? What lies have you sold out to What circumstances have you given more power over your life than the creator of that life? What's holding us captive? There's the example of of the huge, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of this elephant that's held in place by one little cord. You know how they do that? When it's a little baby, that cord is just strong enough to keep the baby elephant tied to that stake. And so then the baby just learns, well, no, that stake is going to keep me in place. Guess what? An adult elephant could easily rip that cord. But in their mind, they think, no, I'm stuck. Those are our circumstances. What circumstances are tying us down in in keeping us stuck? What parts of God's word do we try to edit out because they confront us? Because they offend us? How do we try to get rid of the crunchy parts and leave the fuzzy parts? What situations, what relationships is God calling you back into? Not stupidly, if, if you're struggling with addiction, obviously you're not gonna, if you, if you struggle with alcoholism, you're probably not gonna go to a bar today, right? If, if you struggle with porn, you're probably not gonna go to a, a strip club, right? If, if you struggle with different things, like you have to be smart, but at the same time, I know a lady who's amazing. She used to be, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say it. She used to be a stripper and guess what? She now has a ministry to strippers because God has delivered her of that. That is the power of Jesus. How is God calling us back into some situations to tell of what Jesus has done? to fearlessly live out our relationship with him. How, what areas of life have we been depleted and defeated that he wants to restore? Take the next 30, 60 seconds and just talk to God. Share your heart with him. Listen to him. Ask him to reveal those areas. Guys, guess what? He's the dude that walked into a room with a thousand demons and had them shaking in their boots. He's the one who created the universe. 
with his voice, with his word. Let's go to that God right now.